Let me say a word of prayer. We're about to start a new series on the home, on family. I've had a phrase in my spirit for about two months now, and it's just this, Lord, make this house a home. Lord, make this house a home. And I declare that over Calvary. You see those big welcome home signs when you come? Don't you love those? That was a word of the Lord when somebody had a, 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 a passion to put that up in big letters. And I believe that that's the will of God. But you know what? This is a big place. And I pray and believe God that this place moves from just being a congregation of attenders into a home for you to develop in, be nurtured in, to grow up in, maybe even grow old in. Amen. And to have partnerships and relationships and for your children to have a home, a spiritual home. I pray for that. And we're going to be talking about us as a family over the next few weeks. But you know a church is made up of the homes inside the home. Can I get an amen? Our church is made up of the homes inside of this home. And so for God to do something powerful in this home, how many of you know he's going to start by doing something powerful in your home? In your home. Amen. And so today the reason I want to pray again is because I have this, it's not a heaviness, but there's a definite seriousness on some of the things I feel the Lord wants me to talk to you about today. I'm about to get real honest with you real fast. And so I also want to encourage you, if you have young ones in the room, that you don't want to have these conversations around because I'm not completely sure how deep and personal God's going to get in this. Some of the things I was praying about just before service, I was like, Lord, I'll say whatever you want me to say. And so I just want to clear the path. If there's any of you that have young ones in here and you're like, maybe this may not be the best time for them to sit in the room just in case the Holy Spirit says some things, you may want to bring them to the kids' ministry or something like that at this time. But would you say a word of prayer with me? Is that okay? Join hands with the person next to you because we're family. Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name we come together and I thank you. And God, we do rejoice, we do celebrate. And we love this home and we love the homes within this home. And God, your spirit is about to move in this room. That God, this is not a sermon. This is not just we came to church to say we went to church. We're meeting with God. We're hearing from God. And we are needing a touch of God. And so, Lord, I ask today this thing transcends words being spoken through a microphone. And it turns into spirit and life being deposited into these homes. It turns into bondage-breaking power that are being sent to these homes. That, God, this would be one of those days that 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we'll look back and say from that moment, the foundations of our home began to heal. The cracks began to mend and our home was established again. And so God, I'm asking for a miracle today in Jesus' name, amen. This conversation about home and family, let's start first um, in Proverbs 24. Let's go ahead and start there. That's gonna be my foundation verse for this series, Proverbs 24. I want us to understand the seriousness of why we talk about the home. Do we understand that our homes and our families create our society. Do you understand that? Our society is created by what's going on inside of our homes. Which means if our society has violence, if our society has drug addiction, if our society has sexual perversion, it starts in our homes. Are you understanding? Our society is created and as a reflection of what's going on in our homes, in our families, or the breakdown 
of our families. The government cannot fix it. Because the government isn't our family. Come on. The government isn't our fathers and our mothers. The government doesn't have the power to fix the source of the problems because it starts in our homes. They mandate laws and they try to do what they can do. And you know what? Our teachers many times at schools, they're trying to teach and educate kids that are going back to such brokenness in their homes. The teachers are trying to manage the fruit of broken homes. And even our, so education is not going to be able to solve our society's problems as well. I want us to understand today the seriousness of the series I'm about to start with. Because it's not just, hey, it's a series on family. And we will have some good times and we will talk about some lighthearted things. Because family is fun and family is beautiful when it's done God's way. Amen. But there's some honest statements and conversations that we have to have in order to get to the root and be truthful about what's going on behind the closed doors of our homes. And this conversation, this service today, as God takes it, will impact not only this church, but it will impact our city. It will impact the schools our kids go to because our kids will be stronger and better. It will impact the future businesses we create. It will impact future leaders we send into government. It, it, what, it all starts at home. Amen. So this is a very important series, a very important conversation. Families are all represented all over this room. And I also want to say that even though today I'm, I may lean a little heavier towards the relationship of mom and dad, husband and wife, I also understand and realize that families look very different in this generation and culture. There are families with no dad in the picture, families with no mom in the picture, families where grandma is now the only one in the picture, and there is no mom or dad in the picture. There are families that are, are in second and third marriage situations. There's families where you're adult, you are now the adults and you're taking care of your parents. There's families that are just, I, I can't even begin to describe all the different models or homes represented in here today. But I pray that there's wisdom and truth that God can speak that would meet you where you are and minister to each home as God's Holy Spirit. The cool thing about speaking a message under the influence of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit preaches a thousand messages in one. I'm saying one thing, but you're hearing what you need to hear for your situation because that's how powerful and how good the Holy Spirit is. Amen. I also want to say that I know there's really great families in the room. You were raised by a beautiful mom and dad. You have been faithful in your assignment as parents, you have great relationships with your kids. And so I want to celebrate that. And that's God's will. Amen. That's God's will. And we bless that and we thank God for that. Go ahead, just be grateful for those families. You shouldn't be embarrassed. You shouldn't feel like you can't celebrate that you have a great marriage and a great relationship with your kids and a great relationship with your parents because that's the promise. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable letting anybody know that we actually like our spouse. Or we actually like our parents because there's so much hurt, you feel like you can't celebrate. But the will of God is health. The will of God is those families and those homes are strong. And so we celebrate that today. And if you're not there, please don't feel like you can never be there. 
And please don't be jealous or angry that they're there. Amen. Are you ready for the conversation now? Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 3. A house or a home is built by wisdom. I want you to underline the word built. Built means effort, means piece by piece, stone by stone, nail by nail, shingle by shingle. A house or a home is built by wisdom. And how many of you know it's God's wisdom? God's wisdom is the only wisdom that the Bible cares about. Come on now. Not the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, but the wisdom of God. Step by step, truth by truth, principle by principle, work by work, effort by effort, you can build your house. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong. Say strong. Through good sense. Good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. We're going to grow in the next three weeks, leading right into water baptism at the end of the month. But as we grow in God's knowledge, which is, we're going to learn how to walk in the blessing and the prosperity of God in our homes. When we do things God's way, there are true riches that manifest inside of our homes. The true riches of great relationship. The true riches of having a peace in the home. So you're not going to a house of conflict and turmoil. I don't know if there's anything wealthier or more precious than be able to walk into your house and have peace among the people that matter the most. You could be the richest person in the world, but if you have broken relationship with your spouse or with your children or your grandchildren, how many of you know you'd give all the money in the world in order to have that peace? That's true wealth. That's true riches. Amen. So we're going to move into that by learning the wisdoms of God over the next few weeks. Today my heart's just carrying a heaviness for this room. And for those of you at home that couldn't be here, we understand. There's a heaviness because of the seriousness of what's being talked about. And I feel like God loves us enough and we've grown enough in relationship here. Myself as your pastor and you as our, as our church. To have these types of conversations with you. But I feel in my heart the heaviness and the struggle that goes on behind closed doors. And if statistics prove true, which I don't know if they do or not. Because I don't know all of your stories. Please don't think that, oh, Pastor Kevin's been looking in the windows of our house. I don't do that. That's weird. That's creepy. I should be arrested if that was happening. Okay. I haven't had strategic conversations with your spouse. I wasn't given a bunch of cards saying, please preach on this. My husband, my wife needs to hear this. This isn't anything like that. I'm just telling you, I know that I know that I know we have to have this conversation. We have to have it right now. Okay. Which also means God doesn't ever have these conversations to point a finger. He has these conversations because he's offering his hand. And so if you're receiving guilt and shame out of it, you're not hearing God. What God's trying to say is I see what's happening. I can help you if you'll just reach back to me. But if statistics prove true in this body right here, there's all kinds of addictions going on behind closed doors. You come to church, you smile, and you raise your hand, and God bless you, brother, God bless you, sister, you know, whatever. And then you go home and you drink yourself to oblivion 
You go home and you do drugs to get rid of the pain, but you're far over the physical pain of whatever the chronic problem was that you started the pain with, and now you just take the drugs in order to stay away from all kinds of emotional pain or mental pain. There's all kinds of addictions that go on. You go home and by the end of the night you'll be looking at pornography. Come on now. You come to church and you worship God and you're going, you're flirting with someone that's not your spouse. You're calling it a lunch meeting, but it's not a lunch meeting. You understand, church? You're saying, I'm just, they're just filling my cup or they're just helping me emotionally. It's really called adultery. Behind closed doors, probably in this beautiful church family, there's all kinds of levels of abuse. Maybe some of you walk in and say, wow, you're telling me that these things are all happening in church? Listen, being a Christian doesn't make us exempt from temptation. It doesn't make us exempt from the repercussions of sins that we still choose. We don't have to say yes to sin. That's the difference. But we still do at times. Are you understanding, church? When I was back there, I felt a very strong impression to make a comment on something, and that was this. Speaking of abuse, you should never stay in a situation where you're being physically, mentally abused. God doesn't ask you to do that. Sometimes people try to use the scriptures against their spouse in order to scare them. God is not asking you to stay underneath abuse. Never would. God is about protecting you. And I would like to say this, that God, men, God didn't give us our strength to intimidate or put our spouse into a place of fear. God gave us our strength so that we could love and protect, so that we could go and work, (laughs) go bring down the the buffalo (laughs) and provide, not to intimidate. Never, may your spouse never fear the strength that you have. But also talking of abuse, ladies, and I know that I'm generalizing, so hey, I get it. Ladies, God didn't give you a quick tongue to abuse your husband with your mouth. God didn't give you your tongue to take away his manhood and to beat him down into submission. He he gave you a quick tongue. He gave you a quick tongue so that you could be quick to speak life, so that you could build up, so you could bind and loose, so you could intercede, so that you could speak life to your family and to your kids and your grandkids and take authority and dominion. Are you understanding? And to release the power of God. And the list could go on and on. Those are just a couple things that I just needed to highlight. I believe this house is in the middle, though you may not realize it's in the middle of a move of God. I just do. 
You say, but look at all these empty chairs. You're right. Isn't God good? He's, got, he's getting us ready for what he's doing. <laughs> they look at all these empty chairs. What do you mean you're in a move of God? No, God knows exactly where we are. But let me tell you where a move of God starts. It starts our, at home. move of God starts in our hearts. And also a move of the Holy Spirit isn't just about healings and prophecy and falling down at the altar. A move of the Holy Spirit is also a move of truth. A move of truth. And when God begins to move in a nation and God begins to move in a home and God begins to move in a church, he begins to speak truth. He's always speaking truth, but maybe we're ready to hear it. John chapter 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. And say truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. See, sometimes we begin to believe lies. We begin to believe lies about ourselves. begin to believe lies about our marriage, begin to believe lies about certain bondages and addictions that we begin to accept like it's going to be there forever. This is just the way it is. My dad was this way. My grandfather was this way. My great-grandfather, I've never seen a healthy marriage. I've never seen a healthy male. I've never seen a healthy whatever. And we begin to believe lies. So the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth, begins to come in and begins to lead you into truth. Why? Because the Bible says that truth is going to make you free. That truth is going to make you free. He's not bringing you into truth to embarrass. He's not bringing you into truth to, to harm you. He's bringing you into truth because he's, this is like a southern thing, southern word. He's fixing to set you free. You understand? So even what I just said, if at any point if I said something inside you rose up in anger, do not be angry, my friend, because God loves you enough to tell you the truth. And he's not telling you the truth to point a finger. He's telling you the truth because he's saying, I'm willing to set you free if you're willing to say yes. If you're willing to accept that it's happening. See, the hard part about the word of God, it's like a mirror and it shows you you. And we don't want to see us. And we don't want to show the world us. And we don't even want to believe that's us. But you first have to be truthful with you so that you will be willing to accept the power of God to change those things. This culture doesn't even want to point out anything that's wrong anymore. We're not allowed to say anything that's wrong with anybody or anything. You're supposed to accept everything about yourself. You're only supposed to ask yourself for help. You're never supposed to ask anybody. You are the greatest source of power. You're your greatest encouragement. You're your greatest. All of that is trying to keep you isolated and small rather than saying, no, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in here. And I'm reaching out to a God of truth and a God of power to help me come above and beyond where I currently am. Like I said earlier, Christian families are not immune to temptation. They're not immune to pain. They're not immune to problems in this world. We're not immune to the impact of the sins that we commit. We are promised help. See, here's where it changes. These things are happening, but here's what the believer has. The promise of help. The promise of help. We are promised ability to overcome these things. We are promised grace and mercy. We are promised his presence. We are promised access to God and not a closed door to be cast out if we reach out back. Amen? Jesus even talked about it. He said in John 16, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. 
here on the earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. The reality, yeah, we still go through troubles, sorrows, temptation, opportunity to make mistakes. We even make those mistakes. We even hurt one another. But Jesus is saying, I've overcome the world. And talking about temptation, again, remember what I said, you have promise of help, not the exemption of temptation, but the promise of help. I want to read to you a scripture that I think sometimes we can take out of context talking about temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life, just talking to the believer, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Hello. Well, I'm a Christian. I thought I wasn't supposed to feel temptation anymore. I thought I was, you know, I'm exempt. You're not exempt. You will still experience all the same t- temptations, not just sexually, but temptation to addiction, temptation to anger, temptation to rage, to prejudice, to resentment, to re- temptation. Are you understanding? To pride, to ego, selfishness. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. But God's faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So there's no temptation that's greater than the promise and the God on the inside of you. Amen. So we can't look at it and say, I can't help myself. Yes, it may be true, you can't help yourself, but God in you can help you. But don't you believe a lie that says that temptation, that that addiction, that that sin is unbreakable, is in, is it, it, that, it, it, that it, you have to submit to it. You are a child of God. He will not let you to be tempted more than you can stand. When you are tempted, and there's the, there's the very ex- expressed statement that you will be tempted. When you are tempted, he, talking about God, will show you a way out so you can endure. When I was a kid in youth group growing up, I had a youth pastor who used to preach a sermon about this and they used to say, look for the door. There will always be a door of escape. There will always be a way out. And so I encourage you, with any temptation, any temptation, God has promised that he will provide a way out of it. Are you understanding that? Let me talk to you for a moment about Jacob. The Bible talks about God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you know who Jacob is, raise your hand. Great. If you don't know who Jacob is, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. You should be like, I should to know who Jacob is. I'm about to tell you who Jacob is. Abraham was the gentleman in the Old Testament that God brought the nation of Israel out of. When he was older in life, God gave him a son, Isaac. Isaac then had Jacob, Jacob and Esau. From Jacob, God changes the name of Jacob to Israel. That's where we get Israel. All the 12 tribes of Israel came out of that. Are you understanding so far? So I want to talk to you about Jacob because I believe we're about to have an altar moment like Jacob had. In Genesis chapter 28, my notes that I gave you, actually I had accidentally wrote Genesis 30, but the actual verse is supposed to be Genesis 28. So go to Genesis 28 in your Bible. Jacob is leaving his father's house, Isaac's house, because he had just stolen his brother's birthright, Esau. And he goes and on his way out, he has a meeting with God. 
he has an encounter with God. In Genesis 28, verse 10, while Jacob is fleeing or leaving, Jacob left Beersheba, traveled toward Haran at sundown, arrived at a good place and set up camp. Stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone, rested his head against the stone, lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway to heaven and not the song. He dreamed of a stairway to heaven that reached from earth up into the heavens. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. Now please picture this. Jacob is having a dream and in the dream he sees the stairway to heaven. And he sees the Lord at the top of the stairway. And the Lord speaks to him and says, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are laying on belongs to you and I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west, to the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I promised you. That sounds pretty good, right? Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I wasn't aware of it. This is none other than the house of God, which is why he called it Bethel. If you jump down to verse 20, Jacob made a vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up to become a place of worship, worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything that he gives me. So I want to just kind of set this scenario here. Jacob is on his way out. God meets him. He has an encounter with God. Say encounter with God. God makes him promises. God gives him hope and plans for the future. God makes, uh, gives him a vision for his life. And Jacob is excited. Jacob makes an altar. Say altar. Jacob makes an altar. And he makes a promise to God. And he says, if you'll do all those things, I will serve you. I will honor you. I will come back to this place. I will fulfill this vow. I will give you a tithe, X, Y, Z, all these things. And it just reminds me of so many of us in this room maybe that at some point in our life, because even these families and these homes I've been talking about, I know I've touched on some pretty serious things, but I know this. I know that when there was a time in our lives that we had a meeting with God, and we said, God, I give you my life because I know many of you. And I know your heart, even if I don't know you, I know your heart because it's the same heart that's in so many of others that love God. You do love God. You are believers. You've, you had an altar experience, maybe in junior high, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe five years ago, maybe last month. I don't know. But at some point you made a vow. You made a promise. You heard God's promise. You heard God's vision for your life. You accepted it. And you said, God, I'm giving it all to you. I want to honor you. I want to obey. And we made those covenant promises. We had this same moment that Jacob had at an altar at some point, And we made all these hopeful wishes, hopeful vows to God. It's just, I, I know that to be true. I, could just, I just know it because I know us as Christians. And then life happens. And Jacob, over the next 30 years, begins to have a whole other journey. Are you hearing me? And he begins to go and he... He begins to work for his uncle and he falls in love with one lady and he ends up getting married to her sister first and she's got like crazy eyes. Anyways, it's a whole weird thing. And then 
Then he gets to finally marry her sister, the woman he really wanted to marry. Then they begin to have this like war or battle of who can have more babies. And it's just this weird thing that happens. Then he ends up marrying two more servants. And it's an interesting story. It's just interesting. Jacob gets deceived by his uncle. He was supposed to work for him for seven years. Ends up, so now he's being deceived, stolen from, lied to, married the wrong person. You know, ends up working twice as long for what he thought he was supposed to work for. He ends up leaving his, his house, uh, the, the uncle's house. The wives bring all these idols into his house. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought he was supposed to serve God in his house. But now his house is filled with idols. Come on, church. He had said that you're going to be my God. I'm going to serve you. But now his house is filled with idols. His daughter ends up getting raped. His sons end up murdering an entire city. Wait a minute. My, my family's supposed to love God. My daughter is raped. My sons are murderers. And now Jacob's running for his life because he's like, you've made us a stench to this whole area, talking about his sons. So now his sons have dishonored him and dishonored their family. And he said, we're ruined. We're going to lose it all because of the sins that are happening inside of my home. Are you hearing me, church? So in comes Genesis 38, right after all this trauma, right after all this falling apart. Right after this, 30 years later, daughter suffering, sons murdering, house filled with idols. Jacob basically declares, I'm ruined, I've lost it all. Wait a minute, in Genesis 28, he's excited. God gave him a vision of heaven. God gave him the stairway. God gave him promises. He said, I'll give you everything, God. I'll give you everything. I want to serve you. You're my God and we're going to do this. And 30 years later, this is where we are. It's far from where he was in Genesis 28. Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. Remember, Bethel was that place that he had made an altar to God. Dwell there, make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. They are among you. Purify yourselves, change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Maybe this is where some of us are today. You do know God, you love God, but things have gone off the rails. Your family is filled with foreign gods, idols, sinful and pure behavior, wearing of garments of the old self, garments of bondage, instead of the robes of righteousness, you are at a low point, all seems lost, and you, like Jacob, believe you are ruined. But God gave Jacob a path. God gave Jacob a path. He said, arise, say arise. It means stand up from wherever you are right now in the middle of whatever crisis, in the middle of whatever bondage, in the middle of whatever valley you are, the first step is just let's make that posture change. Let's stand up and then the next thing is go back. Go back to Bethel. Go back to the house of God. Go back to where you made an altar. And the third thing was this, make an altar. Stand up or arise, go back, 
make an altar. Arise, go back, make an altar. Arise, come up out of that thing. Come up out of that thing. Arise, go back, make an altar. Go back to Bethel, back to the house of God. And here's the thing. Jacob responded appropriately, and this is what we have to do. Jacob said basically, I'm going back. God said, arise and go back. That doesn't mean Jacob had to arise and go back. God didn't force Jacob to arise and go back. He just said, this is your way out. God to you today is saying, arise and go back. Go back to that altar. Go back to that place where you met with God. Go back to the beginning before this whole mess started. Are you understanding, church? Jacob didn't have to. God doesn't force you back, but he tells you the truth. Go back. Arise, go back. Jacob said he's going back. Jacob decided to humble himself and obey God. And I also love that Jacob brought his whole family into it. He said, let us, let us arise and go back. I believe we are actually in a better situation than Jacob was with his family. We're New Testament church. I love that. The Bible says we have great, we have better promises and a better covenant. Jacob didn't even have a covenant back then. This was before the covenant of the law. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, it's not an outward going back. God can actually get inside of us and help us go back. Amen. You may have something in your head that says, what good would it do for me to meet God back down on an altar? I understand that. Why would it change? We're going through so much crisis. We're going through so much struggle, going through so many problems right now. What good would we do? Pastor, what good would we do? You're about to make an altar call. You're about to have us come forward. How could that change? Do you understand how far gone we are? Do you understand how big our problems are? Do you understand how bad I've blown it? Do you understand how long we've dealt with this? I understand. I get that. I understand those mindsets. But here's the thing. We still believe that it's not just coming down an altar and going through the motions. We believe it's about meeting with the Almighty. It's meeting with a living God. It's not like, how can walking that aisle do anything? It's not about walking the aisle. It's about humble humility and faith being expressed. And you come and you meet with God. And we believe that a meeting with God can change you from the inside out. What five and ten years of outside programming and all kinds of stuff can't do. One meeting, one touch with God can change you permanently, instantaneously. Does that mean you won't need some sort of recovery program or some sort of accountability group? No. You're going to need discipleship. You need community. You're going to need that. But the bondage, the spiritual anointing against you is broken. The weapons fashioned against you is broken. The curse on you is broken. And the power of God is deposited. Are you understanding? And you're now welcoming God's assistance to help you. It's not just another just, just, just anything, just walking an aisle, just saying words. You're meeting with God. And we believe that God not only is willing, not only is able, but he's eager to meet with you, to set you and your family free. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 through 10. If you jump down to verse 10, talking about this new covenant, God says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people Israel 
on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them in their heart. God gets into our hearts on this side of the cross. He knows how to get on the inside, which is where all this behavior is coming from. Okay? It's coming from the inside out. But you might say, Pastor Kevin, what about my nature? What about my upbringing? You might say our nature may have been formed by bad or non-existent nurturing. My parents weren't there. My dad did this. I, I experienced this as a child. This is all I know. We actually even scripturally believe in things called generational sins. Generational curses passed on through the family. Are you following me, church? The Bible says the sins of the father can go down through multiple generations. The worship team is going to get ready for our closing altar time. Give them opportunity to do that, but I want you to listen to me. First of all, that's why it's so serious that we get set free from sin and bondage right now. Because the sins you're performing today, if it's not broken, are affecting your great-great-great-grandchildren. Those same sins, that same pornography you're looking at now, you may be setting your great-grandchild into a life of pornographic bondage too. You realize your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin costs everybody. How we treat our wife, how we treat our husband, it doesn't just affect you. It gets into the bloodline. It gets into the generations because we bring them up in it. That's why this is serious stuff, right? It's not just about you feeling good right now. What you think is making you feel good right now is robbing your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and you're setting them all into bondage and pain. What about my nature? This is all I know. This is through my generational patterns. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. Which means whatever your family's nature was, whatever your family's nurture or lack of nurture was, his promise to you is through his promises, he will make you a partaker of his nature. You didn't have a father, but you have one now. Are you hearing me, church? What about my failure patterns? I failed in the past. I failed so many times. Hosea 14.4, the Lord says, I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. My anger will be gone forever. Jude 1.24, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Philippians 2.13, remember the question was, what about my patterns of failure? Philippians 2.13, God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God will heal you of your backslidings. God will give you both the will and power to do his pleasure. If again, you come back, you rise, you come back to the altar and you meet with God. Amen, church? Arise, go back, make an altar. Here's what I want you to do, stand up with me.
Stand up with me. Grab your communion envelopes. Today I want to call you back to Bethel, to the place that you met God. Today I want you to make an altar, whether it's out of your seat or up here somewhere in the corners. And I want you to take that communion emblem. We're going to receive communion in a moment, which speaks of a new and better covenant where God breaks those generational curses. God sets us free of our sin and our backsliding and our failures. He washes you. That blood makes you white as snow. That broken body was broken for you. That blood was shed for you. Not just so you could go through a church ritual, but so you can declare these great and precious promises which make you partakers of a divine nature which is above your family generational line. Are you hearing me, church? Maybe you and your spouse and family are doing great and you just want to come together, take communion together and celebrate God's goodness in your family. That's wonderful. And just declare He is Lord over your home. But some of you might need to gather you and your spouse, you and your family, or just you and God, and come and have a covenant moment where you ask God and you're truthful with God. That's what it's about. Remember, it starts with truth. God, something's broken in our family. Something's broken in our home. Here's the cool thing. God isn't asking you to figure it all out on your own. He's not asking you to fix it on your own. He's asking you to come to a point of surrender. He's asking you to come to a point where you're truthful and you say, this is going on behind the closed doors of our house. This is the truth. This is where we are. And God is there saying, thank you for being truthful with me. Now let me help you with this. Let me get involved in this. I have the ability to change you from the inside out. And then take communion together as a family, believing God's promise of involvement that from this day forward, doesn't mean it's all gonna be perfect, but it means it's the start. It's the start of the turnaround. Are you hearing me, church? Letting God in, letting God talk, letting God move on your family, on the real areas going on. And so I'm just gonna say a word of prayer. They're gonna sing a song. While they're singing, I'm just asking everybody, please don't leave. The song's about four minutes long. Four, not eight, four. The song's about four minutes long. During that song, you need to go back to an altar and have a meeting with God about your home, about your family, about yourself. Like I said, your family may be doing great. Then just go stand there before God and thank Him. Your family may be going through some stuff. Then just come be truthful with Him and let Him get involved. And then we're going to pray together and take communion, okay? So singers, go ahead and sing. Let's start moving into position to get with God. Ready? Let's begin to get ready to make an altar before God. Oh, 
ahead and grab our communion emblems as we pray over this work that God is doing in our lives. Again, this is why Jesus came. That's why there's no condemnation. There's no pointing fingers right now. This is just about being truthful and honest, about saying, God, I've got some problems going on in here. I've got things that I can't get over. I've got things that are bigger than me. It's ruining my family. It's ruining relationships with the people I love. God, I'm coming back to you and I'm being truthful. This is why Jesus came, to set us free from this stuff. The devil's bondage over our lives and our families for forgiveness, restoration, healing, new beginnings, new beginnings. You may not be able to start over back from the beginning, but you are able to start anew right now, from today forward. The Bible says that the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, that he took bread and the cup and he blessed them and he said some things. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. He was broken to heal your brokenness, my friend. He was wounded to heal your wounds. And so today, God, we take this bread, this broken body, we thank you for it. And in this covenant are promises that you would heal those broken places in us. We, we're honest about them right now. Something's broken, something's not working, it's wrong, it's off. And God, we're asking you at the altar to come and heal those broken places inside of us. Those broken thoughts, those broken ways, broken relationships, the brokenness. God, we're asking you to come be God in these places. We receive your broken body today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Shall we partake? The Bible says that after supper, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this cup is the new covenant, the New Testament written in my blood. As often as you take it, you do proclaim my death until I come. His death was the moment it was finished. The moment that your sins were paid in full, the moment that the devil's reign of terror over your life was finished, the moment that your fallen nature could control you forever because now you are partakers of his divine nature. Amen? So Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. In this shed blood, we thank you that you take our sins, though they be like scarlet, red, you make them as white, as snow. You make us, not the sins, you make us as white as snow. God, I pray for forgiveness this morning. Lord, that we would receive your forgiveness. Lord, this is where grace becomes so huge. We don't understand grace. We don't understand your mercy because we know what we did. We know what we said. We know how we've been. And here you are offering grace, offering mercy saying that you took our place, you took our payment for this so that we could be treated as if we've never sinned, so that we could be treated and have access to God as if we're just like Jesus, the son and daughter of God. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. And I pray as we receive this today, that God, that cleansing, that release from guilt and condemnation, that release from bondage and addiction, that release from sin, would just begin to permeate itself, those promises through this house, through our lives, 
we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Can we partake of the cup together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can you just thank him just for a minute? Let's give 30 seconds of just praise and glory and thanks to God. Go ahead, church. Love on Jesus. Love on Jesus. Celebrate and thank him. the end of the service, we're going to continue to give you space to meet with God and your family. But please, one, Jimmy, two more minutes before you leave, please. Today, if you're not right with the Lord, if you've not given your heart to Jesus, or you know you need to recommit your heart to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs a Savior. And the wages, penalty of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all, say all, who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, I wanna give you that opportunity to say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. Today, I wanna do that. Or you may say, you know what? I used to have a relationship with God, but if I was honest, I walked away. And I wanna have a restart today. I wanna, I wanna restart right now. If that's you, I want you to pray with me. So do this, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are. And if you say, Pastor Kevin, that's me. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior or I need a restart today. Would you pray for me? On the count of three, just raise your hand, ready? One, two, three. If that's you, would you put a hand up right where you are today so we can pray for you in church? There's one right here, anybody else? Two, I see one in the back. Anyone else? Just pop it up, we'll pray for you right where you are today. You wanna to get things right with God. Three, right over there on the side, excellent. Four, five, six. Anybody else today? Put it up. Seven, anyone else? Eight, nine, 10. Anyone else? Just put it up, let's start over. Let's do this thing. Anyone else? 11, yeah. Excellent. All right, church, let's pray together. Everyone pray together so no one's praying by themselves. And even if I didn't see it, God did. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I have sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Be my God. Thank you for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you celebrate that, church? Welcome home.
thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.